into our text. So I'm going to do things a little bit different because you know I do that every now and again. I just like mess things up. You know, I just, I, I, you know, I, I, I've said before, and I, I made this comment, I said, man, everything is so predictable around here. We come in, we sing three hymns, we have a couple of announcements, we go to prayer, we sing three contemporary songs, we go to pastor preaches, we're going to have invitations, sing a closing song, and get out of here. It's predictable. And everyone says, I like predictable. I know what's happening next. And I just feel like sometimes we get in such a predictable rut and I think, where's the Holy Spirit in this? Where's the movement of God in the midst of it all? So every once in a while, I just like to mess everything up and just change it around a little bit. So today's going to be a little bit different, and um, hopefully you won't be too upset with me. But I want to do something a little bit different, like I kind of like I do on men's Bible study Thursday night. So just just hang on, just go along with the ride, and uh, I think in the end you'll see that it's beneficial to do it once in a while. And uh, so, so bear with me. But if you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, of course, th- you know, typically we do a communion on the second Sunday. We did it for first Sunday for years, and then we switched to second Sunday. I'm bringing it back today, just for today. And uh, so I'm not going to be in Acts for the first time in a while, so just bear with me on that one. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So uh, if, if you would follow along as I begin reading in verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord that which also I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I arrive." I think so often when we come to the Lord's table or what we have often referred to as communion, uh, in a, we come to it in a very hurried or non-contemplative way. Um, so as a pastor, I get two sides of that coin when we participate in the Lord's table. I have a, a percentage of people who do talk who say, boy, that was just an add-on at the end of the service. We just kind of quick do it because, well, it's, it's almost 12 and we have to hurry up and get out of here. So we kind of hurry up and do it so that we can hurry up and pray and hurry up and get out of here. And then the other side, I got people like, well, Pastor Ken just got done preaching a message and now we're getting another one before communion. So I get both sides. <laughs> and But the reality of it is, no matter how you do it, it seems like oftentimes that when we participate in the Lord's table, it's in a hurried, non-contemplative manner. And I thought, one of these days, we just need to slow it down and really think through this process. 
And so we're doing that today a little bit. So I'd like to take a little bit of time to address the subject of the Lord's table. And uh, But before we do, let's just look to the Lord in prayer. And let's ask God, if you would pray with me silently in your heart, that the Lord would speak to us concerning this. And uh, that we let God speak to us and work in and through us and change us if necessary. Lord Jesus, we come before you once again. Uh, Lord, acknowledging, Lord, that we are nothing and you are everything. Lord, that we can do nothing apart from you. Lord, you said that. Apart from you, you can do nothing. But through you, we can do all things through Christ. Lord, these paradoxes of being able to do nothing, yet being able to do everything. Being weak, yet being strong. And Lord, the difference in these extremes is the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Our faith and trust in you alone. And so, Lord, we thank you because the only reason that any of that's possible is because of what you did for us on the cross. Lord, we come before you this morning as needy people. In fact, the psalmist says, I'm poor and needy, yet you think upon me. And Lord, we're so grateful that you do, that you are an omniscient God who knows all things. You're an omnipotent God who's all-powerful. You're an omnipresent God who's everywhere at once. And Lord, we come before you, Lord, acknowledging that as John the Baptist said in John 3.31, you must increase and we must decrease. Because Lord, it's not about us, it's all about you. And so, Lord, work in our hearts this morning. Take these passages that we're going to look at, and Lord, I pray that we would apply them to our hearts and our lives, Lord, that we would think through them. And Lord, just be, Lord, not only grateful and, um, of, the, of the grace and mercy you've bestowed upon us, Lord, but that we'd also, Lord, just be so, Lord, in a mindset of we want to celebrate what you've done. So, Lord, work in our hearts, we pray. May your Holy Spirit touch all of us. And not only, Lord, not just challenge us, but change us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as we, I know that the passage that I just read is a passage that we've really literally read a thousand times in our lives. You know, we read it, we read, read it here numerous times over my 13 and a half years here. But it's a familiar passage. But oftentimes we blow right through it so fast that we forget to really take into consideration all that's there. And so I want to do a little bit this morning. You know, I want to not only look at the First Corinthians passage, but I also want to look at a couple other passages. The Lord's table or communion, as we've referred to it, it really refers to the Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples while he was yet on earth. Um, in Luke chapter 22, uh, verses 14 through 20, it says this. And when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat eat of it until it is fulfilled the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And then they began to question among themselves which one of them it was who would do this thing. You know, when you think about this, this, this last meal that he had with his disciples and he desired, 
and 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 he basically has given them the symbolic meaning of what he is doing. This body is going to be broken. This blood's going to be shed. And he hands them the bread and he says, each of you take a part of it. And when you start thinking about the symbolism there, that each of us takes a part of Christ with us wherever we go. And his blood that has you know, been the atonement for our sins, right? When you start thinking about that, Jesus told his disciples that his body would be broken and destroyed. I don't know about you, but if you're best, the only thing I can almost relate that to, and I say almost because it's hard to fathom, is the fact that if you've got a super close friend that you've done everything with, maybe you've grown up with that person, you're best of friends, you, you can fight each other for everything, and all of a sudden that friend says, I'm dying of cancer. I'm not going to be here in a month. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I mean, that's the scenario almost. Jesus is telling those that he had invested in, those people that he had gotten so close to, those people that he had mentored and discipled, his apostles, my body is going to be destroyed. How would you respond to that? I I don't know. I'm just saying, I don't know how I'd respond. In my flesh, I want to say, oh, I'd respond this way. And I'm thinking, you don't know until you're in it, right? I don't know how I'd respond. But all they know is that everything that they knew and currently know is going to change. Because Jesus is going to the cross. And He's about to shed His blood. And, and, and But the shedding of that blood would usher in a new uh, covenant with them. Uh, over in Jeremiah, I'm almost there. A lot of times I'll type up my verses, but this time I just put the references. Jeremiah 31 and verse 31 through 33 says this, one more page. 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. In that day I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. He is about to usher in a new covenant through the shedding of His blood, through His death on the cross. He was paying the price. And so there's really three looks that we look at when we consider the Lord's table or communion. It is really a look at the past and what He's done for us. In fact, as we partake of the Lord's table, we're reminded uh, of the process that we read of in 1 Corinthians in chapter, chapter 11. Do this in remembrance of me. We're not to forget what Jesus Christ has done for us. And if we're not careful, we can get up every morning, we can you know, shut the alarm off or wake up and roll over, we can get our cup of coffee, take our showers, get dressed and go about our day and not even think about the fact that Jesus died for us. It's easy. We all are guilty of that, I think, to some extent. That we take for granted what Jesus Christ did for us, and He wants us to remember it. So He says, do this thing that we call communion, or the Lord's table, to take a moment and to pause and to remember. Say, what should be my attitude as I'm coming into a time of communion or a time of uh, you know, the Lord's table? I, I, if I were you, I would simply look at it like this. I, I was taught from a young age that as those elements are being passed around the auditorium, it's my opportunity to just take a moment and pray. To just thank the Lord. Thank you that you're a God that forgives. Thank you that you're a God that gives mercy every day. Thank you for a God that, 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 that bestows grace on us every single day. Lord, you provide for us. You protect us. You, 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 
And the list just goes on. And we should be taking a moment to, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we have the opportunity to have a fellowship with Him and a relationship with Him. And we need to remember that. Not take it for granted. Not just wash over it as like it's no big deal. I wish Pastor would hurry up and get done with this. Get, you know, hurry up, say amen so we can get out of here. We should be taking a moment to thank God which the text tells us to do. But we do this in remembrance, and that's the look at the past that we observe. And we should think upon all that He's endured to offer us this gift of salvation. Do you realize, just for a moment, think about this, that He was flogged and beaten, and His blood gushed from Him that we might have what? Life and forgiveness. So I said I was going to do some things a little bit different today, and I'm kind of going to. I know that will shock some of you. Um, But let me have some volunteers just for a moment. I need three volunteers. Who would read Isaiah 50, verse 6? Uh, Mike, Isaiah 50, verse 6. Bill, read Isaiah 52, 14. Another one? Bill right here. Isaiah 53, 7. And I'm going to get to you in a second, Chad. I saw your hand. But the first one, Isaiah 50, verse 6, good and loud. Think about that for a moment. Just for a moment. The, the prediction of, of what Christ would go through on this cross. I gave my back to those who struck me. Question, who's willing to do that in this day and age? Somebody about to hurt you, guess what you're going to do? <laughs> no, I'm not running. I'm defending myself. Oh, I might run, but if I'm not running fast enough, I'm going to defend myself. I can dare say that most people are going to outrun this boy. I don't like running. Running is for other people, not me. But if i got to defend myself, I, I'm not giving my back up freely, am I? Think about that. He said, I gave. He didn't say I suffered it. He didn't say I endured it. He said, I gave it to them. He did that for you and me. Think about that. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I don't know about you, but every once in a while I'll have like one stray hair that goes doing. You, those of you that have wives know this. Don will like ding. I'm like, what are you doing? One tiny little hair or like a little hair of my eyebrow. It's like, well, it was just sticking straight up going boing. And they're like, leave my eyebrow hair alone. It hurts. I'm sorry, women. You can pluck your eyebrows all you want. These are not getting plucked. They're getting cut. That hurts. And he gave his cheek to those who plucked his beard. Have you ever read that before? He didn't say they took it. He says, and, which means he gave that too. And I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. In other words, they spit upon him. To me, that is the ultimate slap in the face of disrespect. To be spit upon. Mm. Uh, Isaiah fifty two fourteen. Just as many of you who are counted as 
Wow. You get that? It says his appearance, his visage, what he looked like was marred. The only thing I can almost, and I say almost, relate that to is someone who's been in a terrible accident and their face has been smashed in. Their body's full of blood. Think about that. He did that in fulfillment of prophecy so that you and I could be saved. This is the part of communion we don't think about sometimes. That He did that for you and I and is formed more than the sons of men. I mean, His whole body was, was, was so impacted by what He went through that He was unrecognizable almost as a man. And He did that for you and I. Isaiah 53.7 He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. He didn't sit there and cry like a little girl. He didn't there say, stop, stop, stop. He didn't do that. I like what Spurgeon wrote in his commentary on the seven sayings from the cross. He said he may have been silent before man, but he was not silent before God. He was in communion with his father. But he didn't sit there and gripe and complain. I don't know about you, but I am a wuss the older I get. There are certain things I just don't like. I don't like pain. Anybody like pain? Oh, give me more, give me more. I love it. I don't like pain anymore. I don't like it when my back is sore. I haven't had one in a while. But a toothache or an earache, I don't like those things. Oh, without pain, no gain. I, I get it. But I am not voluntarily putting myself through pain. I don't like it. Anybody else? I don't like it. And yet he went through that. And he didn't open his mouth. He didn't gripe and complain. He didn't sit there and say, why me? He says he opened not his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before his shears was silent, he didn't open his mouth. Let me look again at Luke chapter 22, verses 63-65. through It says this, Now the men who held Jesus mocked Him and beat Him, And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy! Who is that that struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. That's what he endured on the cross. But you know what? He had to go to the cross. I don't think he wanted to go to the cross, right? He said, Father, if it be Your will, let this cup pass from Me, this cup of wrath, this cup of death. If it be Your will, Lord, let it pass from Me. But it was not the Father's will. He fulfilled His Father's will. He said, not My will, but Your will be done. He had to go to the cross. Why? Let me have some volunteers. Hebrews 9.22. Ken. Uh, 1 John 1.9. Chad. Isaiah 1.18. Anybody? Isaiah 118, Bill. Psalm 103, 12. 
Jason? Micah 7.18. Who wants Micah 7.18? This is participation. Nick? Ben? Isaiah 43, 25-26. And one more. In fact, I'm going to give it to... Uh, where was it? Nick? 17, Micah 7, 18 and 19. So Hebrews 9.22, good and loud. And almost things and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins it says all things are purged through the blood you say was it necessary that Jesus Christ die on the cross was it necessary that he give his life was it necessary that he would go through what he went through yes and there's and you say, well, is there anything so great that no, every sin that you can commit has been put under the blood so that you can have forgiveness. He says all things are purified or purged through the blood. And it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of that sin. He was the final sacrifice. Think about that. Uh Isaiah, I'm sorry, uh, 1 John 1 9, Chad. Okay. Uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to give us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Think about if, that. Uh, wow. So, what is our responsibility in response to what Jesus Christ has done? Yes, He forgives, but what's our responsibility? To confess them. And at that moment that I'm willing to say, God, please forgive me. I repent of this lying. I repent of this stealing. I repent of these wrong thoughts. I repent of my wrong actions. I repent of my unrighteous anger. I repent of my jealousy. I repent of my pride. I repent of... And when we begin to repent of whatever it is that God has revealed to you that is, in, that is not in fellowship with Him, God says, I will forgive that and cleanse your plate. He says, well, we'll get to that. Isaiah 1, 18 and 19, Nick. I'm, I'm sorry, no, you know, who's 1, 18? There you go. Says Lord, though your sins be as like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Think about that. He says, "Your the darkness of your heart, the darkness of your sin." You see the word picture there. Our sin is dark. It's filthy. It's just nasty. And yet, though they be dark with as 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 sin, dark, he says they should be white as wool through the blood of Jesus. And by the way, how do you know when you have sin in your life? How do you know? You say, well, I, I don't know that there's any sin in my life. Trust me. If you pray and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to say, Lord, is there anything in my life? The psalmist said, pray it this way. Lord, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And then lead me to the way of everlasting. He says, reveal it so that I can make it right with you. And then he says in Romans 4.12, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. The Word of God will reveal to you if there is sin in your life because it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
And then he says, by the way, I see everything. Every sin that you are partaking of, I see it. But just so you know, he goes, I shed my blood for that. You can have victory over that. You can confess it and I'll forgive you. And though it be wickedly dark and heinous, it can be white as wool. Bottom line is, he loves us that much. Uh, Psalm 103.12. Who's got that one? There you go. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Wow. So when God says, I remove your sin, how many are not very good at directions? <laughs> well, that's kind of east. That's kind of west. And he says, as far as they go in these opposite directions, and I say kind of because it's kind of like, that's east on Cockins, but it's kind of cockeyed. It's like this. But anyway, as far as this direction is from that direction, when we repent of them, he says, that's how far they are away from me. Now, I don't understand this, but someone explained it that if you go north-south, it goes in a circle, but if you go east-west, it goes in a plane. I don't get that. I don't know if there's any truth to that. Somebody that knows can look that up. All I know is, yeah, that was my look. <laughs> but all I know is that they're a long direction away from each other. And he says, that's how I've removed your sin. Micah seven eighteen and 19, Nick. There we go. Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity, and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us, and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Wow. Ben. When you start thinking about, once again, as far as east is from the west, and then he says, down into the depths of the sea. Who's going there? Anybody? Ain't nobody going there. When I was a kid growing up, I used to walk... I'm going to date myself. Some of you won't even know who this is. Jacques Cousteau. Every Saturday morning, man, watches Jacques Cousteau. Evolutionist to Encore, but anyway. <laughs> I thought it was cool how he, I didn't care about the... I was too young to know what evolution was, but I, I thought it was just cool that he'd go diving and I'll show all these animals and it, it's just cool. Ain't nobody going down to the depths of the sea. He says, I'm going to bury your sins where no one is. But our responsibility is what? To repent of them. Confess them. And he says, when you do that, the slate's wiped clean. Nothing. You remember the old hymn? Nothing between the soul and my Savior. You ever thought about that? So that is blessing, yeah. So the reality is, he says, I will wipe your, clay, your slate clean. And you know what guilt is? A lot of times guilt is Satan bringing up your past so that you can't walk in victory. He'll use it, but you know what? When you confess it, it's under the blood done over clean past. One more. So, it's, well, actually, so when you think about when he says... Do this in remembrance of me. So look at the past. What did he do? He shed his blood. He gave forgiveness of sin. And also, it's a look at the presence. It's the here and the now. We have fellowship with the living Christ. Right now, we have fellowship 
with the living Christ. And the reality is He wants us to have fellowship. And we can have fellowship with other believers because of His gift to us. Do you realize, I preached through the book of 1 Corinthians in my first church probably 25 years ago. In Tippecanoe, Indiana, I preached through 1 Corinthians. And know what you find all through the book of 1 Corinthians? Paul dealing with sin in the church. Ouch. Discord, disunity, fighting, in, in complaining. And all of a sudden you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He uses the Lord's table as an opportunity to show them. He says, wait a minute, some of you are just so stinking selfish. You're going to come here and gorge yourself over on this side, and over here you got families that have nothing. He says, if that's your attitude and you want to sit there and gorge yourself, do it at home before you come. Where's the love? And he addresses this discord and this disunity. And now when everything's under the blood and sin is confessed and repented of and God has wiped the slate clean, now we have fellowship with one another. Do you realize that God wants us to have fellowship with each other? He wants that. He wants us to get along. And I'm thankful that we have, generally speaking, I think we have some great unity in our church. But is it as good as it could be? Not even close. Not even close. You'd never say it, and because you're so proud you won't admit it, but some of you say, well, I don't want to sit with so-and-so. How do I know that? Because it's in every church in America. They're not, they're not like me. They're different than me. It, it happens. And some of you ought to be ashamed of yourself for thinking that. I love what is above the sign in Pastor Chatla's office in India. You see, I was explaining to the guys the other day that here in America, there is very much a live and well caste system amongst the Nepalese, Bhutanese, Indian people. High caste Brahma versus the low caste. You know who owns all the Indian stores in this area? The Brahma clan, caste. And you know who will not accept Christ? You know, when I look at my friend Dinesh, who has Christian Lighthouse Fellowship, a hundred, you know, church of 200 Indian, Nepali, Bhutanese people, you know who most of them are? Low caste. Because Christianity is considered low caste in many parts of Nepal and India, Bhutan. Most of the store owners are Brahma caste. They're better than everyone. You can have your Jesus. That's, that's for a poor man. You say, well, and above his door it says, in Christ there is no caste. Isn't that amazing? We're all made one. We're one. You're not better than him. She's not better than you. You're not better. We're one in Christ. And the reality is we need to treat each other as equal. In fact, not only should we not keep treat them as equals, he says, let every man in what? Esteem others better than ourselves. To have a, an authentic attitude that I am nothing but my brother, he's everything. Have that attitude once. Fellowship with people. Encourage one another. Edify each other. Build each other up. Because that's what the church should be doing. And part of our fellowship around the Lord's table is that He dealt with the division so that they could have true fellowship. Christ shed His blood, offered forgiveness of sin, so that we can all be in fellowship with each other and with Him. He wants unity. 
He likes harmony. Did you know that? That means we've got to abolish selfishness, abolish pride, put down my own conceit, and esteem others better. And then it's a look at the future. We continually celebrate what He did for us until He comes back. So why do we, why do we continually? I mean, why not just do it once and be done? Because if not put before us, we'll forget. We'll lose the appreciation and the awe and the grandeur of what Jesus did for us on the cross. So He says, I want you to continually do it so that you don't forget. And always, as you do it, look forward to what I'm going to do one day. Isn't that awesome? I don't know about you, but this life, if you haven't figured it out yet, it's not that cool. What's cool is thinking about what heaven is going to be like. Our mind can't comprehend what it really is going to be like. I've been told, I don't know who, I don't know, somebody in the know, maybe some of you in here are in the know, but I've been told that the shields on the astronauts' helmets are are basically pure gold that they look through. I don't they say that they say that the, the gold filters the bright light. I don't know if it's true, but I can only fathom. I, I've I've heard, I've read that. I don't know if it's true or not, but but can you walk can you imagine walking on streets of gold? I mean some of us get uptight about someone walking on our carpet. <laughs> Whoa, take your shoes off. What are you thinking? I watched a funeral service of a, of a friend that I graduated with in high school. He actually graduated one year ahead of me in high school. But his dad was a pastor of 54 years in Minnesota. And uh, his service was held in my home church. And I watched it for about an hour yesterday. And the son-in-law says, I can, you know, Mom died first. Now Dad's up there and he's about to join her. And he's, he goes, I'm just joking, just so you know. I'm not, I'm not teaching correct theology or doctrine here. He goes, I'm just making a joke, just so you know. He goes, but I can just imagine dad died yesterday, you know, the other day, and he's meeting mom at the, at the doorstep of the mansion, and mom's saying, take your shoes off before you get in here. You know, he goes, I remember that about mom. But can you imagine walking on streets of gold? Seeing the gates of pearl? I can't fathom. Anybody ever done construction on an old building? You ever realize that opening one project turns to four more? There ain't a straight wall in the place. There ain't a plumb line in the entire building. It's perfect. No need to fix nothing. Yeah. Perfect. I can't fathom what heaven's going to be like. All I know is this. No sickness. No sorrow. No tears. No pain. No frustrations, no murder, no cancer. Think of the worst that this world offers. None of it's there. No political sides. That's a good one. Think about it. A place of perfect, perfectedness. I, I, I don't know if that's a word, but it's perfect. But think about that. And we get to go there if you know Jesus. First John chapter three verse three. We're almost done. In fact, uh, we could speed it up by giving you a couple more. Uh, Bill, Isaiah fifty-five seven. 
Nick, Psalm 25, 7. Ben, one, Psalm 11, 111, 4 and 5. 111, 4 and 5. Psalm 98, 1 to 3. Ken, burn. But First John, I'm almost there. 3 verse 3 says this. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So, as we are waiting for the coming of the Lord, waiting for the day that we enter heaven's gates, we don't continue in sin just because grace abounds. Romans tells us in three different verses shall I continue in sin just because grace abounds? And depending on your translation, it either says, God forbid, may it never be so, don't do it. Don't abuse the grace that He's given to us, right? It says, all who have this hope of heaven, I'll add those words, referring to heaven, purifies Himself even as He is pure. So, we should be walking in purity to the best of our abilities. We're not perfect. We're not Jesus. But we ought to strive to be like Him. In our humanness, in our flesh, we will fail. But at that moment of failure, you say, Lord, forgive me, I've failed. Lord, forgive me of having those wrong thoughts. God, forgive me of, of lashing out and speaking in that harsh, anger, angerous tone. Lord, forgive me because I, I had this wrong attitude all day at work. And God, just forget you. Know, when we do wrong, we just take a moment and say, God, forgive me and help me to do what's right so that I can walk in fellowship and purity as He wants. He says, if you have this hope, you should purify yourself. For how long? Till he comes. Uh, Psalm, I'm sorry, Isaiah 55 7. His way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What is the promise of God's word? When we repent of our sins, he is going to what? Forgive us. So we work on walking in purity and we also work on you know making sure that there's nothing in our life so he says if you will come to me i will pardon you i will forgive you that's the promise we have uh psalm 77 11 and 12 i will remember the works of the lord Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. So in our families, with our children, do they hear of you talking of who, who God is and what he's done? Do your neighbors know that you walk with Jesus? Do you talk about it? The fact that He died for you, that He forgives sins, that there's no sin that He can't overcome. We, we should talk. It does that not say talk about it? Meditate on it? Tell others about it? Psalm 25.7. Or what did I say? Yeah, Psalm 25.7. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Okay, Psalm 11, 4 and 5. 111. Sorry. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. 
He remembers His covenant forever. So He says, "My cup, this cup is the new covenant of My blood. And He says, I will what? Remember My covenant. What is a covenant? It's a promise. He says, I'll remember the promise I made. How many of you have ever had somebody promise you something and fail? Look around. Raise your hand. How many of you have ever had that happen before? I know I have. God is a God who does not forget His promises. Isn't that awesome? One more. Psalm 98, 1-3. Whoever has that one. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for He has done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm gained Him the victory. Hmm. The Lord has made known His salvation, His righteousness. He has revealed the sight in the sight of the nation. He has remembered His mercy and His faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth shall have seen the salvation of our God. He's a gracious God, and everyone can see it. He's remembered to the ends of the earth. One last set verse before we take communion. 1 John 1, 1 through 1-7 says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, the life was manifest and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father and, with his man, and, and, and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. The relationship that we can have with Jesus Christ because of what He did for us on the cross in the end is not to put a, to be a burden to us. It's not to put restrictions on us. It's so that you may have a full life. He says, And this is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. Once again, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to end with these couple thoughts before we partake of the Lord's table. So he says in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Have you ever thought about what that means? And there are two sides to this passage that I often hear about. It's the judgment side. Well, you know, we don't have to worry about the judgment anymore. Yes, you do. I can't change what's in the text. He says, if a man does this with a wrong attitude, a flippant attitude, not discerning the Lord's body, taking advantage of His grace, I feel sorry for that person. Just saying. You don't understand what Jesus Christ did for you. The other side of it is a time of celebrate. He says, let a man examine himself. And why? To make sure, is there anything in my life that Jesus Christ has shed His blood for that I've not repented of? I can't change the text. 
Yes, we are celebrating what He's done, but we are also to have a time of reflection and introspection. And when that moment comes when we partake of the elements, it says, verse 24, and when He had given thanks, there was a moment of thankfulness. Lord, thank You for what You've done. Thank You. Thank You. Thank You for what You have done. Meditate on that. What has God done? He died. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was spit upon. He had a crown of thorns pressed upon His head. He had His beard plucked out. And He says He gave him His cheeks. He gave him His back. He did this willingly. Lord, thank You. Forgive me of my sin, Father. Forgive me. Lord, if there be anything in me, Lord, search me and try me and know my heart. God, if there's anything that's, that I've not repented of, reveal it to me so that I can walk in fellowship and unity with You, Father. Forgive me. And then celebrate. This is what Jesus has done for You. And we thank You, God, for what You've done. This is what should be going through our minds when we come to this moment of the Lord's table. So, let's do this. Let's take a moment and partake of the Lord's table.